Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 142. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Monday, Steelers Nation. Dave, the Pittsburgh Steelers getting ready for their three-day mandatory minicamp that runs Tuesday through Thursday, and then they'll break and will not return as a group until training camp in late July, but a busy Monday here with uh, some interviews and some excited, exciting news to pass along to all of Steelers nation. Yeah. I don't know about you. I was uh, uh, pretty pumped, obviously uh, uh, to wake up and see a, a specific byline on SteelersDepot.com, And then not too long after that, uh, uh, Bryant McFadden dropped his uh, latest episode of his podcast. And uh, it includes a uh, you know, long uh, interview with uh, Troy Palomalo and uh, that that's all, you know, anytime you get to hear uh, Troy uh, speak in, in a long interview like that, it's, it's, it's a, it's a welcome sight for sure. And yeah, mandatory mini camp coming up uh, this week. And I believe that we'll get to hear from some uh, position coaches uh, this week. Might even get to hear from Danny Smith, Alex. Ooh, uh, I, I don't, don't tease know. me like that. I, I don't it's know been a while. For, yeah. I don't know for sure, but uh, it should be a pretty, eventful week uh overall uh and and really the, probably the last really eventful one until uh training camp gets uh underway in late july so uh why don't you tell people about the news about mark gorsak yeah really exciting news for the entire steelers depot team as you may have already read on steelers depot if you haven't go check it out it's sticky to the top of the site mark gorsak longtime pittsburgh steelers scout who stepped down just a few weeks ago, not retiring from football, moving on to some different football things that maybe he'll talk and and write about. But uh, he's going to do some guest writing for Steelers Depot under the Scouts Eye series. Had one article today, his first one go up that included the letter he wrote or emailed to the organization saying goodbye. It's a really heartfelt and a lot of great takeaways there. And so we'll have Mark occasionally do some guest writing, may even hop back on the podcast from time to time to give his thoughts, not only on his time in Pittsburgh as a scout, how the NFL works, but also just his thoughts on the current present day Steelers. So for Mark, you know, it'll he's basically got free reign to write about what's important to him, but it'll basically be a, be, be a combination of him telling stories about his time as a scout. There are so many uh, that, that I'm sure that he has, or it'll be more the technical side, how scouting actually works for those more diehard fans that I know we have so many of, but already a great reception, a positive reception from uh, the readers about the first article from Corsic. So I cannot wait for more. I already know Mark's working on his second. That's probably a little bit more X's and O's and technical. And so I'm really excited for that one too. Take my money. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is we're all for free. No paywalls here. Uh, hey, uh, I, 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 you know, from a selfish uh, standpoint here, uh, and I, I know you feel the same way that we love process, don't we? Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. we, we eat as much process as we can get and, uh, we eat the, uh, the learning, you know, anytime we can learn more about 
you know, X's and O's and scouting, the scouting of players and and all those little things. You know, the moment that you think that you know everything when when you do this, even as long as we have done it, uh, you know, you're 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 going down the wrong path there. And and I'm always open open to learning more things. And once again, you know, process, process, process. And, and um, I'm sure Mark's got a lot of that process that, that he can pass along uh, to us and others. So, uh, you know, super exciting day. And uh, after stalking him for so long mm-hmm. uh, on, you know, through the pro day circuits and obviously watching him all those years uh, uh, running the 40 yard dash, uh, at, at the NFL scouting combine and really, really surreal to wake up and see that. So uh, very, very thankful and uh, hope people enjoy it. Yeah, I think already people have, again, the reception has been really positive. Again, if you have not checked out the article, do so. Scouts Eye, Mark Gorsuch on the hardest part of being a Steeler scout. That is the first article of hopefully many that will go up on the site. But Davis, you mentioned Troy Polamalu, a great interview there on the All Things Covered podcast with Brian McFadden, Patrick Peterson. I saw today there's an interview interview from Bill Belichick on a separate podcast. And in the, the Troy interview has to be like the two most famous, greatest players, coaches that never talk to the media on, on these long form kind of views. And so pretty special Monday overall. But with Troy, I'm still listening through, haven't heard the whole thing. I know you haven't either, Dave, but I thought it was interesting. I wrote the article and kind of what struck me the most was Troy talking about when he knew his NFL career was over. It was midway through the 2014 season against the Colts. He talked about one play where he was given a lot of pre-snap freedom to line up basically wherever he wanted to. And he thought about, should I line up here? No, I've already lined up there before. Should I line up there? I've done that before. And he kind of realized I've done everything I can do in terms of the creativity and innovation and that freedom. And that was kind of the first moment he realized that I'm going to move on. And of course, he retired after that season. So a pretty revealing answer there from Troy. But it's a really good interview that I've listened to so so far. And it's just always great to hear from Troy. I, and I haven't even I've been I've been busy cutting audio and all from that for you guys to write about. And all. Did, did he mention anything about uh, the, 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 the decision in the Titans? He did. He was asked, did he ever give consideration to playing for Tennessee and Dick LeBeau, who, who was the DC there at the time. And he said, no, he did not really give that serious okay. thought of consideration. So I know that was, that's been rumored for quite some time. And, and he did make a reference to having a tough conversation with Pittsburgh at the end of his career. And we know there were kind of some rumors about the team. I don't know. I don't want to say pushing him out is the right word, but kind of ready to move on there. Um, and so Troy spoke on that a little bit, didn't go into a ton of detail, but did confirm he never really thought about playing for Tennessee. All right. All right. That's good news. So I look forward to uh, spending part of the day uh, listening to that, and reading kind of what you guys write about it as well, too. Some more Pittsburgh news, although it's a little more related to Houston, but it ties into the Steelers, the Houston Texans announcing that on October 1st, they will. Uh, what uh, is it? Is it put J.J. Watt in their Hall of Honor? Is that uh yeah, right, they're, they're, they're adding J.J. Watt to their ring of honor on October 1st, which I believe or I know is the week four uh, Texans home game against the Steelers. And uh, what a what an appropriate you know, time uh, to do that. Obviously, J, uh, T.J. Watt, you know, being there with the Steelers and I would imagine uh, the whole Watt family uh, will be there. 
and kind of a, a, a return to Houston for JJ. Uh, I'm sure somebody's going to be cutting onions in my house uh, <laughs> uh, on that day. Look, I mean, I know JJ Watts never played for the Steelers, but I mean, I, I don't know how you can't look back uh, at his NFL career, not only on the field, but off the field as well, too, and, and just have uh, tons of admiration uh, for the way he's handled all of it. And, you know, if, if, you, if you're an NFL player, you know, obviously he didn't win a Super Bowl, but uh, uh, outside of that, I, I don't know if you can script, you know, a better NFL career. And obviously he's going to end up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, uh, probably as soon as he's eligible and all. So uh, that's something to look forward to as a Steelers fan when it comes to the upcoming schedule week four at Houston. Yeah, so mark that one on your calendars. It'll be a pretty cool moment there. Uh, obviously, the focus on JJ in Houston, but you know, I'm sure there'll be shots of TJ and and pregame, you know, postgame interactions will probably be be out there for sure. So we'll be covering that, and it's just cool to see all those moments from the time where all three brothers played together a couple of years back, and and whenever JJ was still in Houston, you had TJ and Derek in Pittsburgh. You had. TJ and um, Derek, their their high school jerseys were retired this year on the same night. So just a lot of cool moments. That families, I can't wait for those guys to write a book. They have to write a book. I mean, there's got to be so many stories they can tell. Uh, they're probably going to have to be a movie about about it. At, Seriously, at, at, at some point. Yeah, you're finally at the age now where you're starting to see players that uh, uh, came into the NFL while you were cognizant of it, and <laughs> and and and. and played for a long time and retired and then going, going into, uh, uh, the hall of fame. Obviously I reached that, that time years ago, uh, <laughs> and all, but I mean, it, it's, you know, it's, it's probably pretty cool, I guess, from a fan aspect, especially someone your age, uh, uh, to, to see the full development and, 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 you know, progress of a career like that, especially for a guy like, uh, JJ Watt. Yeah, just to see the entirety of someone's career, not the back half, not the twilight, not seeing the stories and the highlights, but from the day the guy got drafted to the day he retires to the day that he'll eventually be inducted into Canton and to remember that pretty vividly, I think is really cool. I think it's also cool for me just to watch a guy like TJ as he's on a very clear Hall of Fame track and to sit there in the moment and not have to guess, is this guy going to make it? Is he not going to make it to know? That if his career continues the way that it's gone through his first six seasons, he's going to be joining J.J. someday in the Hall of Fame, talking about T.J. Watt. So it's also pretty cool for me to, to watch those guys grow up and play and know and appreciate they're having a Hall of Fame career in the middle of their career, not just looking back on it after the right, fact. Right, exactly. You know who that first guy was for you? Who was the guy that you grew up? Not necessarily someone that was your favorite player, but somebody that you said, "Wow, I'm I'm watching greatness." Was it Jerry Rice? Was probably a little too too old. Oh man, that's a great question. Uh, I've never thought of it in 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 that aspect. Obviously, you know they didn't have the coverage uh, yeah. uh, around the league. You know, so you know when you're growing up and you're collecting football cards, yeah, you know the star players on on you know most every team but it's not like you had you know more more detailed around the league coverage you know obviously the the uh you did have ESPN and you always would watch the uh uh, uh the highlights with Berman and you know I'm talking about you know and I was already obviously 
you know, teenager and all at that time, Berman and, 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 mm-hmm. and Tom Jackson and, and all like that. And, you know, even on Monday night football in their early, uh, in my early life, you know, on Monday night football, they do, you know, Howard Cosell would run through the highlights of the weekend real quick. So you knew, you knew the star. I think it's, I, I guess where I'm getting, uh, going with this is it, it's probably, it's gotta be different from, for you because all you've known pretty much is NFL network and, and, and more intimate, I guess, not knowledge of, of star players outside of Pittsburgh, you know, where it's right. really, so I can't, I, 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 I'm struggling to come up with, you know, yeah, Jerry Rice and all like that, but uh, I wasn't as dedicated, you know, to the NFL in its entirety as you have been for all these years. Does right. that make sense? I mean, sure. obviously I'm a football fan, uh, but, you know, a lot of people don't realize I I grew up first of all, my, my first love was, I think, you know, was, was baseball, even though, the Steelers black and gold caught my attention first. I've told the story before about, you know, my dad was a Cowboys and a Dolphins fan. And, you know, at, at as early as I think four or five or something like that, uh, knowing how much he hated uh, his team playing the Steelers and, and me taking great joy in that it, it started kind of there, but it quickly, you had more baseball coverage as a kid when, when I was growing up, than you did really football coverage, especially down in the South. So my first love was really baseball and then pirate, you know, obviously pirates. And then, uh, then it became everything, you know, Steelers, penguins and, 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 and everything like that. So really my, uh, deeper fascination with the NFL really came, I guess, with me more as a, I don't know, you know, eight, nine, 10, you know, uh, year old, uh, kid like that, but really even, even deeper, not until really I was in my teens, I guess. Growing up watching those great 70 Steelers, how much coverage would you get to see of the team throughout the week, especially given that you weren't in Pittsburgh? How accessible were they? Zero, uh, really? especially that down in the South. Now, look, uh, obviously, once once they uh, once they started winning and all in the seventies and all like that, you could you could pretty much count on a game uh, being national coverage down there on Sundays, you know, and then obviously anytime they were on Monday night football or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but, uh, to get any kind of news or anything like that, you know, cause the paper that we had was the Pensacola news journal and, you know, there'd be just blurbs about other, you know, if they weren't a near local team like Miami or, or, or something like that, you didn't get a lot of coverage. It was just little blurbs here and there. You'd pretty much have to buy, like the off season magazines, you mm. know, uh, and back then, you know, you d- didn't have a lot of money to even do that. Once again, you know, what, what, until I was into my teens and all like that, right. You know, started to get that aspect of it, but you know, you'd read the box scores of the games, you know, on, on Monday morning in the, in the, in the local paper and uh, maybe see some highlights, you know, throughout the week or whatnot. 
if you could catch that on on the three <laughs> three three challenge. <laughs> you know, TVs back in the day, Alex, they only had three three. Well, actually, four because you had the PBS station. If you could get the rabbit ears, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, just right. But it was uh, obviously just ABC, CBS, and NBC. And then, uh, P, you know, your local PBS station and all like that. So, yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't, you know, it was hard being a diehard Steelers fan, sure. uh, especially in the South in the 70s and, 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 and early 80s. No YouTube TV like today. Oh, no, no, man. And- uh, the, the, the young fans nowadays just don't, I mean, that's all they know, you know, uh, and I would have killed to have anything like that or, or internet to be able to check out, you know, any, any, any newspapers online or anything like that. So most of the stuff that you got that was really useful kind of blurbs usually came after the season, you know, or, and, 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 uh, really the NFL more, films, probably. right, right. That, that, that kind of stuff yeah. there. So, yeah. Uh, I'm, sh- I'm shaking my fist at the cloud <laughs> now. Damn you, young kids. But anyway, yeah, that was that was part of growing up. Just just one more question on that topic, kind of similar to what I'd asked. Do you remember the first time, though, when technology and coverage and TV got more modern to really efficiently cover a full player's career? Like I think about Barry Sanders more in the 90s. Was that an easier career to kind of you were older, obviously, A, but B, just to to, to follow his career a bit more closely because there was more access to, to seeing some of those great players. Well, I, I think it was mostly, you know, the internet changed a lot, you know, okay. uh, AOL, a <laughs> <laughs> uh, couple hours that you buy for. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, fantasy football. Cause I, you know, once fantasy football came into vogue in the, in the, in the eighties there, you know, they had the books and all like that. And, you know, I, I was in a local league there. I mean, way back in the eighties and all. So obviously uh, when you have had the old, you know, uh, fantasy uh, uh, football sites where you could read the little blurbs and then obviously get linked to any online articles that, that was momentous as far as where my football knowledge really took off. And, and even then, you know, didn't have a good grasp on the X's and O's aspects. It, it really wasn't until YouTube came along, you know, where you got, you know, a lot more. And even then in the early days, days of YouTube, you didn't, but it gave you an opportunity to view more clips and, mm-hmm. and be more, more aware of, of more players and that kind of thing. So it's hard, you know, if you want to pinpoint a, a you know, a, a spot where it was really opened up, you know, my world to more football, it would have been, when when internet came, came about which is honestly pretty recent especially with youtube like youtube started in what 07 didn't become real popular until i don't know probably early 2010s i mean that's that's not that long ago right it it, it really isn't yeah yeah so anyway that's our trip down memory lane today but getting all the big news out of the way with with Gorsuch and troy and and watt so Dave, I know you've been hard at work this weekend trying to brainstorm some content, some, some, some I think, really kind of cool factoids and history and look back since we're already on the topic of history and kind of, you know, football as it once was. Of the couple of articles that you wrote this weekend, what kind of grabbed you the most? The thing you went, huh, I didn't know that or I didn't think about that in a while that kind of made you uh, want to write about it. 
Yeah, there was actually a couple uh, overall, and it's stuff that I'm not sure if I, I can't remember if I knew it or not <laughs> kind of things there. What One particular, I think uh, yeah, it's the piece that I wrote on on Jerome Bettis and, and the two probably not so well-known uh, facts related to the Steelers trading for him. Obviously, uh, you know, if you're if if you're 18 years of age or older in 1996, you remember to trade for for uh, for for Jerome Bettis and all like that. And really, I think it was like five or six years ago, it became more mainstream that in his interview with Steelers.com in kind of what was it uh, Legends or I forget the name of the series that they did of that though. And he talked about how uh, he had a little bit of a hand in deciding. Uh, where he wanted to go, he was given the opportunity to get traded uh, to either the uh, the Houston Oilers or the Pittsburgh Steelers at the time. And and once again, this isn't you know new news, but I think it just more uh, uh, came came more into the public eye back you know five six years ago when he did that interview there. And you know he obviously chose. He talked about how he chose the Steelers because of the more you know storied franchise, especially when it came to the running back position overall. So that was one little uh, nugget that's probably not often talked about when 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 you talk about uh, him being traded to the Steelers. There, the other interesting aspect of this and this one, I can't remember if I had read it before or or had heard it, but in, anyway, it, it was related to his contract. And when Jerome Bettis was originally drafted by the Rams, uh, he signed a five-year contract with them. Well, a lot of people probably didn't know that there were incentives in that contract uh, uh, related to his first four seasons that if he – If he in the first four seasons, if he made the Pro Bowl at least once, and if in two of those seasons he rushed for twelve hundred or more yards, he could he would void the 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 fifth and final year of his contract, and that would have been important to him because it would have allowed him to reach uh, unrestricted free agency a year earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, and thus you know cash in. Uh, or earlier on, 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 you know, on a second deal there. Well, in his first, uh, first season, everything looked like it was going great for him because, uh, first season with the Rams, he made the pro bowl. Uh, he rushed for over 1200 yards, but in his next two seasons there, uh, he did not rush for 1200 or more yards. And then thus he was traded to the Steelers in, in, in what 96 there. And what that did, and a lot of people probably, when it comes to the Steelers, you know, at the time the Steelers traded for a guy that technically had two seasons left on his contract. However, comma, uh, they also traded for a guy that had a huge incentive over his head in that first year in Pittsburgh in, in, in 96, meaning that if he was able to rush for 1200 yards that season, he would have, he, he would be able, he would void the final 1997 uh, year of his contract and thus be able to hit free agency there. So uh, that look, the, the Steelers, what they gave up for him, when you look back, you know, at, at the details related to that deal, uh, the Steelers gave a second round pick that year and their fourth round pick in the 1997 uh, 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 draft you know, as part of that deal. Now that now they got back what what they get back a, a third. Uh, let me pull that up here real quick here. Uh, they gave 
they got back a third round pick and Jerome Bettis, a third round pick in the 1996 draft. Uh, and they gave up a second round 1996 uh, draft pick uh, and a 1997 fourth round pick there. So it wasn't like they they spent you know a huge amount of draft capital uh, to get him. You know, because mm-hmm. the Rams uh, were done with him, basically. Right, right? They were just looking right. to, to dump him. Right. Now, obviously, you know, you're swapping a second and a third in 1996, and then you're adding in uh, mm-hmm. 1997 fourth round draft pick there. But it's not like it was monumental compensation that they had to give up for him at the time. Sure. And sure. what what they were doing is they were leveraging saying, look, you know, uh, we think this guy can be this player. We think he can obviously rush from uh, for, for more than 1,200 yards. Uh, but there was the risk involved in there that if he did, he would become an unrestricted free agent in 1997. Uh, and, you know, lo and behold, that's what happened. He obviously rushed for more than 1,200 yards. So they ran the risk of him actually being a one-year rental, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at, at the time. And, in fact, I think, you know, because the how the NFL calendar was at the time, he technically became an unrestricted free agent that February of 1997. Now they wasted no time in locking him up, and obviously he was ecstatic to be in 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 in, in Pittsburgh at the time, and and saw that as his path. And then they signed him to what a four year, 14.4 million dollar deal. Uh, he became, I, I think, at the time it was a, uh, uh, the richest uh, contract the Steelers player had ever signed it time i think it made him the third highest uh paid running back in the league at the time so just kind of the specific and look what if he what if he hadn't had 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 rushed for 1200 or more yards in 1996 well he wouldn't have become a free agent in 1997 obviously he's still probably you know barring him just looking you know, horribly bad. He still was probably going to be their bell cow running back in 1997, uh, uh, but still would have been under contract with the team on his rookie contract that year. And then been looking to become a, uh, an unrestricted free agent in 1998. But it's a, you know, it's a little bit of, uh, to me, more interesting minutiae related to that that deal that a lot of people. Uh, and what if he would have hit free agency and somebody else would have, you know, he wanted right. uh, wanted to move on uh, and and got a fatter deal from from somebody else at the time, you know. So it was really an interesting aspect related to that trade that. You know, could have went several different ways there. Especially, you know, especially if he had not rushed for twelve hundred more yards, or had he rushed for 1,200, 1,200 or more yards, you know, uh, they ran the risk of losing him. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that about the contract. So thank you for bringing that to light because I think that's – how did you find that? How did you know that was that in, in a newspaper article at the time? Yeah, it was in, it was, it was just blurbs. And, and and once again, I don't remember if someone if, – if I read it, you know, someone or heard someone talking about it or or actually read that before. But, you know, I have a subscription to newspapers.com mm-hmm. and man, you, you want to talk about going down, going <laughs> down some rabbit holes that way. Uh, I have I have been on some adventures through through that with 18 windows open and <laughs> and, and, and all like that. And, yeah, you know, the other uh, and probably you know, boring a few people at this point, but the other interesting aspect after, after writing that Bettis piece, uh, the thought came in into my head because, uh, you know, that was only, 
you know, a few years into the, 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 the salary cap era at the time. So, you know, and obviously the Steelers had traded for Jerome Bettis. I thought to myself, uh, who was the first player that the Steelers traded for in the salary cap era? So I went down that rabbit hole and that player actually ended up being tied in Tracy green. Uh, and that happened in when was it 1995 a couple of years into uh the, the the salary cap era uh green was originally drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs uh, in, in 1994 in the seventh round out of Grambling. And he played his rookie season, uh, uh, obviously with the chiefs, he had six catches for 69 yards. He was, he was converted defensive lineman, uh, Mm. overall and, and really kind of, kind of came out of, out of colleges as a guy that could potentially be a good blocking tight end or, you know, decent above average blocking tight end, uh, in the NFL played his rookie season, uh, with the chiefs. And a lot of people, uh, in, in, and that was in 1994, uh, was his rookie season in 1995, uh, the Steelers lost, you know, Eric green in free agency that March. And then they proceeded to draft Mark Bruner out of Washington in the first round of the 19, in, uh, 1995 NFL draft. And at the time the Steelers were reportedly kind of wanting to try to build, you know, try to replace green with a couple of players, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Bruner from the more the receiving aspect, even though Bruner, uh, you know, wasn't that shabby, if memory serves me, wasn't that shabby of a, of a blocker coming out of college, but he obviously wasn't, uh, uh, uh you know, accomplished yet. Uh, so their idea was to kind of, uh, try to find another more blocking tight end, uh, that they could use, you know, to, to help kind of alleviate the loss of, of the well-rounded Eric Green there. So they went out there and they traded uh, for Tracy Green, gave up a seventh-round selection in the 1996 NFL draft. Uh, Tracy Green ended up dressing all 16 games in that uh, in, in, in that 1995 season. Uh, he didn't, he didn't, he had two targets, no catches that I can find. And really the only time he touched the football was, uh, against the new England Patriots later in the season on, on, on kind of an, looked like an errant kind of kickoff against the Patriots in that game, picked it up and ran for like what, seven yards or something like that it was the only time he touched the football. And not only did he dress for all 16 games, uh, that, that season in 1995, he also dressed for two of the three. Remember that was the Super Bowl run year, mm-hmm. uh, Super Bowl, uh, 30 dressed for two playoff games. Didn't get any touches in, in, in either of those games, but he was inactive for the, uh, for Super Bowl XXX against, uh, the Dallas Cowboys there now, uh, and, and really didn't do anything. Uh, you know, the Steelers obviously lost that game, but he didn't do anything in the playoffs really notable that year there. Now he stayed on the Steelers roster that following uh, off season up until cut time. Uh, but he failed to make the uh, make, make, make the roster that that following season and was effectively, you know, done with football uh, after that. But if you want to, uh, and look, you know, th- this, <laughs> this article, this post that I did, isn't going to do well as more of, I found something I decided to write about there, but if you want to want some useless trivia, tr- trivia, uh, Tracy green was the first player that the Steelers traded for in the salary cap era. 
such a blocking tight end stat line two targets no catches one random kick return <laughs> like that is such a blocking tight end type of line to have so that was that Super Bowl was the the game that Rod Woodson played in had he not been right. active had Bill Cowher put him on IR you kind of wonder if Tracy Green would have been able to say he dressed for a Super Bowl we'll never know but you wonder if Green lost a spot to Rod Woodson. Yeah, who was the old uh, uh, longtime uh, uh, Jonathan Hayes? Uh, I I I think I remember dressing for the Steelers as a tight end. When okay. did when did Jonathan Hayes come into the NFL? I the early nineties. I just he, know him as a as a coach. He's right. A, was a coach or is a coach? Right, but a lot of people you know probably don't don't know that he he was one time he was. Uh, he was a Steeler in 1994 to 1996, uh, and he and I know for sure uh, uh, that he dressed for super for that Super Bowl against the Cowboys there, but I and I think he was also inactive for for games. I have to look back now. He got me kind of wondering about that. Uh, in what, what year were we talking? 95 there. Yeah, he did uh, dress in the Super Bowl. He had one target, no catches. And it looks like he dressed for 16 games uh, as well that season there. So I don't, I'll have to look back at the game book if I can find mm-hmm. it and see if they only dressed two, two tight ends maybe for that game. So maybe, maybe you make a good point because uh, Rod Woodson was, 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 was back for that. Maybe that, maybe Tracy Green was the one that lost the roster, lost yeah. the active, active helmet for that game. Maybe, but I love the trivia. I love the nitty gritty. What did Pittsburgh trade for Tracy Green? Did you? Did you get the it was conversation a seventh on round, it? it? was a seventh, seventh round, round draft pick. pick. Yeah, okay. uh, a 1996 seventh round draft pick. Uh, that one too took a little bit of research because on Wikipedia it doesn't list. Uh, uh, anyway, that one ended up, uh, I think. Uh, being part of some sort of Jacksonville deal or something. In other words, it was, it, 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 it came, it came from Jacksonville via the Steelers or something along those lines mm-hmm. uh, uh, there kind, kind of thing that you kind of got to, got to go down a rabbit hole for there kind of speaking on this, you know, on the heels of man, people can't stop talking about chase young. Can they? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you, if you miss some shows already, I, you know, I, I, I think you already know where I stand on on my thoughts on the Steelers potentially uh, trading for for Chase Young. I'll be absolutely shocked if if they do. And secondly, I, I, if you look at the the Washington uh, Commanders roster as it sits right now, especially the edge position, it it doesn't look great if you take Chase Young out of that. So I'll be I'll be pretty surprised if they deal Chase Young anyway. But. Uh, uh, part of all this research and all like that, I was able to build a a list uh, of you know uh, post you know salary cap era players that the Steelers have actually traded for. Now I'm not talking about acquiring you know trading for draft. I'm talking about any deal in the salary cap era to date that inquired the Steelers receiving a player. Now there were obviously some that were draft picks were involved in, uh, mm-hmm. there, but, uh, if you had, uh, I already showed you the list. Yeah. So, uh, I, I'm cheating. Uh, yeah. You cheated there, but in total, the Steelers have only traded, made 28 trades, uh, in the salary cap era that, that, included them acquiring a player you would think it'd be a little bit higher than that wouldn't you 
Yeah, I'd have to compare it to the rest of the NFL. I mean, Kevin Colbert was, you know, he he, he was a bit more active than people thought, but he wasn't making a ton of trades. So I don't know if that number surprises me or not. I, I don't know how that compares to other teams. And in the last, let's see, since 2000 and let's see, 19, since 2019 alone, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten of those have come. Ten of those trades have, in which the Steelers have acquired a player, have happened since 2019. Now that's that's a pretty you know mm-hmm. pr- pr- pretty decent sized number. Uh, now when you look at the list of 28 trades in its totality, not a lot of them are. are are significant. Obviously the Bettis deal in 1996 uh, was, 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 was pretty significant. Uh, But once again, the compensation, what they gave up, you know, to get him in addition of, of having the chance for him actually having two years left on his contract, I think needs to be noted when it comes to that deal. The, another kind of, you know, fairly significant deal overall when you look at the history related to this was obviously during the uh, uh, 2010 NFL draft in that trade that uh, with the with the Cardinals that brought back Bryant McFadden uh, to the Steelers and a 2010 six round draft pick which ended up being Antonio Brown that that, mm-hmm. that 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 specific uh pick. So that's that's significant, but the Steelers only gave up a fifth round, a 2010 fifth round draft pick uh to make that happen. The other obviously significant trade uh uh in the salary cap era that the Steelers have made was you know in in in, in September of 2019 when they traded for Minka Fitzpatrick, right? You know, yeah, that was the big one. Uh that that was the big one. But once again uh, yes, you gave up a first round draft uh, 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 draft pick as, as part of that compensation uh, there, but you also got a player that had several years remaining on his rookie contract at the time, right? Right, he was in year two of his rookie deal. I, I guess the point is, though, does it does the history is that indicative of the future with a new GM and Omar Khan? And I think you know he's been aggressive. I don't think it's been necessarily 100% different than what Kevin Colbert was doing late in his tenure, but we've certainly seen Khan make a lot of moves. So does that history specifically really mean anything for the future under a new GM, a new regime to an extent? I'm not quite sure. Well, look, I think if you look at these line by line, as far as compensation that the Steelers gave up, uh, you know, most of these are fifth, sixth, seventh round picks, right? Sure or conditional right. <laughs> uh, 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 picks. I mean, you even look back at uh, them dealing for Allen Robinson uh, this past summer, they got Allen Robinson and a seventh round pick for a seventh round pick. Uh, and they also got a player under contract for, 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 for more than past this year on top of it there. Uh, historically, overall, you would say, you know, if the Steelers are to trade for a player the remainder of this summer, it's probably going to be a player that only requires a fifth to a seventh round compensation. I now, agree. You do, now, now you do have a new GM involved and there's, there, there's, there's that aspect of it. So, and, and, and look, 
uh, history is made to have a first time thing happen in it. Right. Uh, overall. Sure. But uh, I think, and, and I'm going to circle this back to the whole chase young thing. Uh, it, it would be, it would be quite significant to see this team actually make a deal for a player like, you know, chase young and his pedigree also considering what you'd probably have to give up for it, especially con- and all the things that we talked about already. Uh, final year of his contract. Uh, if they, if they trade for him before August 1st, you have that roster bonus involved. So it's not, you know, be, you know, unless you get Washington to eat a significant portion of that, you know, which I I'm, I'm willing to, and you look at their roster as it stands right now, uh, you throw all this together and you, you look at it as, as objectively as you can with all the parameters involved. I, I will, once again, I will be absolutely shocked if they trade for Chase Young. Sure. I'm not disagreeing with you. I think we're in peak silly season right now with the Chase Young stuff. If that were to happen, it's not going to happen for a little while. And I think Washington, they want to win now. I know it's been a bumpy career with Young with the injuries, but I I think he just stays in Washington this year and they play it out and see what happens. So I'm not suggesting that Young's going to come to Pittsburgh. I just don't know if the history of the the draft picks matter so much, especially if it was Kevin Colbert, it might be one thing. But under Khan, I think it's harder to really lean on on that history as having any sort of predictive power. Man, have you looked at the, uh, you know, the commander's depth chart at the edge position? It's Chase Young. Montez Sweat, F.A. Obata, uh, K.J. Henry, Joshua Pryor, Shaka Tony, William Bradley King, James Smith-Williams, and Casey Tuhill. <laughs> yeah, not a, not a great collection of names there. There's some, there's some, some draft Knicks that, you know, that, that love some of those guys coming out, Tuhill and Tony, but uh, yeah, not a lot of big names there. You know, so just looking at it on 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 the Washington's end of it, uh, it it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to deal him. Now, look, if the player just absolutely refuse, you know, and he's not going to refuse to play, but he's going to make, you know, if he were to make strong indications, I want out of here, you know. But uh, you know, and I know they didn't pick up his fifth year option and all like that, but I mean that that that's not like it's a strange occurrence around the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, you know, I think I think it would behoove Chase Young for 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 his career moving forward to stay right where he's at, prove he's healthy, have a career year, and then put the onus on Washington to either franchise tag him or allow him to hit free agency and hit a big deal that way. If hypothetically you had to come up with a value that he's worth the trade for. What is that value? Because you have a top pick, the pedigree, the potential, but injuries last year was rookie contract, like a third round pick. Is that what he would fetch if you if, if Washington hypothetically dealt him to anybody? There's no way I'm trading him for less than a third round pick. None. OK, especially and, and even then that's that's bottom that's bottom rung. And I might want a third and a six or something, be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's hard for a team to like trade a second or God forbid a first round pick for a guy. For you may one only guy, have for one year. Unless, unless, you know, the only way I could see doing that is if you're turning around and, and, you know, a, before the deal is even made, I want permission to talk to the player to see if I can work out a, a long-term extension with him. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm going to give up a first or second round draft pick for a player in his situation, uh, and then, you know, the, the back end of that people, you know, uh, people say, well, look, if he, if he only plays one year and he leaves and he has a career year, uh, and he leaves in via free agency, you'll get co- compensatory value. Well, that's not guaranteed, you know, and also you're not guaranteed round for round that becomes part of the formula, right? The value mm-hmm. and, and, and all like that. So, uh, once again, if I'm if I'm Washington and I'm looking at this, there's no way in hell I take anything. I I, I probably want a third and a, a six, or maybe even a third and a fifth, or something like that. Uh, conversely, on the Steelers side of it, or any team side of it, uh, not just the Steelers. If I'm trading for a guy like him, that that that, that that's that's had some recent injury history, but he has pedigree, uh, and he has. And assuming that I have to deal for him before August 1st, before that, before that roster bonus is due, and I'm going to be on the hook for that. And I can't get Washington to eat any other contract uh, there. I want to talk to that player before the deal. And I want to see what other prospects are working out uh, a long-term extension, uh, even if it's just a two-year extension or something like that uh, past the 2023 season. And quite honestly, I mean, Chase Young's market value is not all that when it comes to a contract. So he'd be kind of silly to lock himself into a two or three year extension at, I don't know, throw a number out there, five, six, seven million a a year, because he's not, I mean, he's not much more, he's not worth more than that, you know, uh, right now. Even if you extend them, the guy's got one and a half sacks over the last two seasons. How much do you pay for that on an extension? Right, right. You know, uh, so once again, this all boils back to, I think the best course of action for both the commanders and Chase Young is for him to, 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 to stay in Washington for 2023, uh, prove he's healthy, have a, have a, you know, uh, a year similar to his rookie season. And then, then he's, he's going to cash in one way or the other that way, a lot more than he would cash in signing any kind of extension right now. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's much ado ado about nothing. I think Young stays in Washington, plays out the year. How does the year go? I don't know. We'll see. It'll be partially health dependent, but I don't see a trade happening to anywhere, let alone Pittsburgh. And and, and that's what I wrote in that post week and a half or whatnot ago, you know, uh, uh, there. I I just uh, and and I, I don't see it happening. Dave, you had some more thoughts on Calvin Austin and the Steelers slot production or lack thereof. And so when you add in Allen Robinson, you get Austin seemingly healthy, running around well right now at OTAs. Hopefully that slot production shoots up in 2023. Yeah. And, you know, not just that. We talked a little bit about this. I didn't have all the stats at the time. I just had I think I was working off of uh, uh, plays of uh, 25 yards or longer. But I went down another rabbit hole. Uh, since that last show there and, 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 uh, pulled off all of his, all of his explosive play, uh, stats. And, uh, let's see here. Where was it here? Uh, let's see. Austin recorded an explosive play of 20 yards or longer once nearly every four touches during his college career at Memphis to be more precise once every 3.8 times he touched the football at Memphis it was an explosive play of 20 yards or longer uh uh an explosive play rate based on his touches 164 touches at Memphis 26.2 percent 
That's if that sounds high, it's because it is Mm -hmm. Uh, in total. He registered 43 explosive plays on offense in college and 13 of those resulted in touchdowns. Uh, The average length of those 43 explosive plays was 36.4 yards, which again is quite impressive. In case you're wondering, 41 of those 43 were receptions and two others were, were, were runs. And, you know, I, I think when you think about a smaller guy like Austin, and explosive plays, you're thinking, okay, were, were a lot of those uh, catch short run long? Well, I mean, he did have those, but if you look at his totality of his college career, he registered 34 receptions that included 15 or more air yards during, during his four seasons there. Uh, and he totaled, what, 156 total receptions at Memphis. So once every 4.58 times uh, the ball he caught uh, was more than 15 yards past the line of scrimmage. So for a, for a small guy like him, uh, that's quite impressive uh, in and of itself there. Uh, now, look, last year or in 2021, the Steelers offense only managed to register 50 explosive plays at 20 yards or longer. Uh, only, uh, only four other teams in, in 2021 had fewer than the Steelers did last season, obviously wasn't much better. We've talked about quite extensive, extensively. They had 52 total explosive plays and to make matters even worse when it came to that 52 numbers, uh, of explosive plays, only two of them resulted in touchdowns. Uh, and that was worse than the NFL on that stat when it came to explosive play touchdowns. Uh, the average length of those explosive plays was 27.8. Uh, this circles back kind of the conversation that, that, that we had the other day about Austin. Look, do I expect him to produce an explosive play once every four times he touches the football at, at the NFL level? Probably not. I think that's asking a little bit, but man. How great would it be for to have this guy put his hand in the pile and produce some explosive plays and not only explosive plays, some, some double explosive plays, triple explosive plays, and maybe a few that end up in the end zone. So I think that's the, one of the biggest things to look and, and we, we both, neither one of us think he's going to be an every down, you know, every down 11 personnel player, right? Right. He'll be a rotational piece. Right. So how many explosive plays, you know, this guy kind of goes back to our talk the other day. How many explosive plays do you think we can hope to get out of uh, Calvin Austin, the third in 2023? Yeah, I had said about six. Let me, let's just who were the leaders last year in Pittsburgh? Not that that's the benchmark you want to set because they didn't have enough of them. But I'm just curious to kind of get a gauge for where Deontay, where Pickens, where you know Frymuth, I think saw a big increase in his sophomore season. But my first thought on Austin was about six explosive plays. You call it five passing, one rushing. I would take that. Uh, I had that pulled up as part of some of this study. I don't anymore. I can pull it up real quick here on. Let's see, yards gained of twenty yards or more last year for the Steelers in two thousand twenty-one gives us ding 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 ding. Let's see here. Uh reception-wise, George Pickens seventeen. Okay. Led, led the team seventeen. Now they had uh, what did I say? They had uh, they had how many rushing? Uh, eight rushing, 44 receiving, 52 in total. Uh, Pickens led the team with uh, 
18 in total, 17 receiving, one rushing. Second on the team behind him was Pat Firemuth with yeah, nine. Saw him get worked vertically a lot more. His A dot, his yards per reception went way up from his rookie year. I thought it was the one thing that Matt Canada did well in 2022. And the whole you know, lack of yards after the catch and all uh, probably hampered Deontay Johnson in that category more than any single player on, on the Steelers roster in the explosive play category last season. He had seven in total. Yeah, that's far too light for what he's capable of. So, I mean, just to gauge it, I, I still I still stand by about six for Austin. If he wants to do more, then hey, I'm all for it. And there's going to be potential there for him to have some really big plays. But I think given the snap count, given the involvement, I would say about six sounds right. And look, you obviously you know, want to see you know the rest of these guys, Pickens, Firemuth, Johnson, see an increase in the explosive play category. Uh, I'll tell you this, uh, uh, 52 explosive plays, uh, in 2023, he's not going to cut it. Sure. No, not even close. Let me ask you this, though, about Austin. And I think the answer is partly variety. It's not putting him in one category. But if you had to kind of loosely create a game plan for how to use Calvin Austin in 2023, how would you best use him? How do you want to utilize him in this offense? Yes. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> a little more specific. Uh, look, uh, this is a guy that came out of college that showed he can play some Z, you know, you know, pro, you know I think was played more Z than he actually did in, in, in the slot overall. I think. Oh yeah. He, he was primarily an outside yeah. guy in college. Uh, uh, I think he's a guy that you move around because moving him around in the offense gives de- uh makes defenses have to account for him. Uh, so first and foremost, the thing that I want to see with Calvin Austin when he's on the field is him moved around. Second, uh, you have to get him the football. You know, you know. In other words, the football does not need to go to him every time he's on the field. Then we get back into the flashing red light uh, uh, scenario there. So, oh, here comes Calvin Austin on the field. He's probably going to he's he uh, tendency show. Uh, five out of every seven times he's on the field, mm-hmm. he's going to get the football. Okay. So there, you have to make sure you watch your tendencies as far. And look, obviously there's progressions in, in passing plays, right? So uh, you're going to have some plays that are designed, I think specifically for him as the target in, in, uh, in, in the passing game. And then some where it's going to be part, uh, obviously a, 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 of a progression. You're, He's a guy you're absolutely going to see in the jet suite. Sorry, folks, uh, but but you have to try to utilize that aspect of his skill set. And I think you can do some other you know creative things uh, with him. But I think the, the 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 key thing when he is on the field is and you have you have to mix in some shots shot plays for him down the field, uh, even at his size. Once again, you know, the fact that he was able to catch so many footballs more than 15 yards down the field at the college level, I think you got to give him the opportunity uh, uh, to, to, to be in some of those even and leaving type situations, if you will, and throw out, throw it out there and see if you can overthrow him or not. Uh, 
I, but I, I think it all boils down to being creative with him on offense and moving him around and getting the football in his hands in as many different scenarios as possible. That's the key when it comes to him. Yeah, I think you said it well. I think space leverage in terms of the short underneath concepts, you're going to see a lot of pre-snap motion, a lot of window dressing in that sense that you can utilize and play off of. But I think, you know, out in the flat, out in space, um, him in motion, you get him the ball, you know, out in the flat and he's already running. I think it's going to be important for him. Utilize that speed, utilize that post catch ability. I think in terms of the more vertical concepts, I thought Pittsburgh late in the year was pretty effective with some of their stacks and bunches. You get Austin the free release. Um, he can, I think, can really wreak some havoc. I think we're seeing the NFL go to more too high shell, middle of the field open. That's going to utilize posts and some of the deep in cuts that I think Austin can can win on uh, more often. So while I think Frymuth made some of those plays downfield, more middle of the field last year, I think Austin can do that in this kind of too high world the NFL is evolving back to. Look, imagine a scenario, if you will, like early in the game, either the first, you know, uh, first series somewhere in there, uh, you have them on the field and, and you run a jet sweep good for, you know, an explosive play. What does that do to having him on the field and using him in motion the rest of the game? Yeah, creates that threat, puts that seed in the defense's mind of we got to watch this guy. Now, look, there's there's obvious concerns when it comes to a player like him, right? Uh, a, you know, he's already had the foot injury, but it, it by all accounts, it sounds like he's on track to, to be fully uh, past that. We hope he is. Second, obviously, is his size. Now, you throw out a guy like him, people automatically want to call him Dre Archer, but you, uh, and I think that happened to you on Twitter over the weekend here. Mm-hmm. Uh, explain why. Austin and 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 uh, Dre Archer are, are you know th- that conversation can't be had had yet. It's not the same. Archer never had a defined role in the NFL. Pittsburgh didn't know what to do with him. They called him a running back. They didn't use him as a running back. They didn't use him between the tackles because they couldn't. They didn't use him in pass protection because they couldn't. I remember the first backs on backers drill. You know, all the running backs go over to the corner of the end zone, and Dre Archer you know, jogs along to go with the receivers. Your first sign of, okay, they don't view him, him as, a, as a running back. Austin is a receiver. He's been a receiver. What he did in college will be, you know, similar to what he does in the NFL. Archer was a really good athlete and speedster, but never really had a home and a fit in terms of his position, his role. How would you use him? There was no clear answer to that. It was the Pittsburgh's biggest miss in terms of evaluating and drafting Tree Archer with Austin. I'm not saying his career will be great. I don't know how good of a career he'll have, but his the definition of how he wins, how he can be used is far clearer than it ever was for Dre Archer. Once again, we, you know, what we know about Austin to this point, we're still having to speculate a lot because, you know, he obviously didn't play a single down, didn't even get to see him in a preseason game uh, last season. So uh, for, for you got to see him a little bit, you know, in, 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 in training camp there, but you know, we're, People listening to this, it's it's hard. You know, we, we can't. We're, there's no way we can definitively say what he is or isn't going going to be uh, at at the NFL level yet. Uh, uh, we don't even have a glimpse of what that really even looks like. All we're saying is, based on the college tape, based on production, uh, based on how we think that you know. 
you would, if you're going to get your money's worth out of him, you're going to get him on the field and, you know, uh, uh, how many snaps a game, you know, be, uh, uh, would you look to, to try to have him on the field? 20, 15. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a good question. I mean, if Pittsburgh's going to play a lot of big people, it may not get Austin on the field as often because as a blocker, he's not going to offer much there. Allen Robinson can do more. Yeah. F- 15 sounds about right. And I, and you know, once again, you'd like to see him moved around quite a bit. You'd like to see the football in his hands in different situations within that. Uh, if he's going to hit where he, where he's going to benefit this, this offense the most, or at least early in his, in his career now is, is that, is the explosive play aspect of his game. Cause he's probably, you know, what does it look like on average, potentially assuming every, you know, got to throw all these qualifiers out there because people will, will throw them back at you and say, you said this, but assuming, you know, the offense stays healthy and all like that. I mean, are we looking at two to three touches a game for him on average? Uh, in, 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 in 2023, or is that too high? Because two times 17 would be 34 touches. That feels a little stiff to be quite honest. Uh, uh, that feels a little bit rich, but it's not unachievable. Some people have said, well, I, I see it more as three. Well, three times 17 would be, what is 51. that? 51. That really seems kind of, yeah, that, that feels like somebody got hurt, <laughs> which is, uh, a distinct possibility right. receiver and probably won't stay healthy the entire season. Yeah. I, I had posed the question a while back. Who's going to have more offensive touches this year, Darnell Washington or Calvin Austin. I think that's going to be a really good litmus mm-hmm. test for the type of offense Pittsburgh wants to be, how successful their plan is. Obviously, if you're going to be a team that wants to run the ball and play with a lead, you're going to have those big people late in games, not playing from behind. If they can't establish the run, they can't run the ball. Well, they're going to play from behind and be an 11 personnel late in some of these games. So I think that's a, a, a number to watch. Uh, so anywhere between 34 and 50, what'd you say? 51. Does that seem like a window of, of touches for him in 2023? Yeah, it seems reasonable. I had about 30 in my head on the, on the number of touches for him. Maybe, maybe a bit more. You factor in some injuries that will give him some more opportunities, assuming of course he stays healthy. All right. And the other, you know, thing that we've talked about, you know, uh, just as a team overall is, is, you know, what can, can it, what can this, what, what can Calvin Austin do after the catch? You know, obviously he had great success after the catch at, at, at Memphis there. That's one area along with the explosive plays, which, you know, will be a byproduct of all this, uh, that he can really help this team. So, uh, how will, how will it turn out? I mean, look, I mean, he is undersized. So there, there is those concerns. I don't, you know, I worry about, I don't, I worry about all undersized players in the NFL. You know, I worry about Bryce Young coming, coming in as as another size uh, quarterback. Uh, I, I worry about receivers that are, you know, undersized, such as Calvin Austin the third. Uh, that said, it doesn't stop me from watching because that uh, remember that kid last year out of uh, 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 Utah State, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Tompkins. Man, yeah, that, Tompkins. I mean, that guy's tape was a- absolutely incredible. You know, uh, catching a football down the field, contested catches. Uh, but what did he end up doing his rookie season? Nothing. And he he was an undrafted player, right? 
Yeah, I mean, he had a tough hill to climb. I think he had earned some buzz. I think he's still hanging around, so that's more than what a lot of guys can say. Yeah, I think the, the the small players are always fun to watch. I don't really watch any highlight reels, but the one guy that I do watch, I one of some of the, the fun most fun tape to ever see is Jakeem Grant at a Texas Tech. He was so much fun to watch, and he's had success as, as a return guy. Speaking of which, for Austin, can he help out in the return game? You know, he didn't right. do really anything on kicks in his career, limited on punts. Again, kicks aren't going to be as valuable, but punts will be important, and, he, and you still need a kick returner. There are going to be still some kick returns. Hopefully, Austin can secure both of those spots, and maybe you know you get a, an explosive play there once or twice. Look at the Bucks game last year; Stephen Sims with that big run back, you know that that helped change that game and help Pittsburgh pull off that upset victory. So, those are other areas where you can hopefully contribute some of those big splash plays. Uh, I and I I didn't get this data early enough to put in my post on on Austin and the explosive plays the other day there, but I reached out to uh, Andrew Shaver, who of course has has written for us in the past, works for uh, Pro Football Focus. I was wanting to know and have it ready by the time of the post, but once again, I, I didn't have it ready. But but since then, I've got this. Uh, from two, th- I wanted to know from 2019 to 2021 which were the final three seasons of, 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 of Calvin Austin's college career, 2019 to 2021 among FBS players. I wanted to know who had the four, who had the most explosive play receptions of 20 yards or more. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I had a feeling that, man, how can Calvin Austin, the third, not rank high. In in, in, in in such a list. Well, as it turns out, uh, Andrew got that information for me from 2019 to 2021 among FBS players and explosive play receptions of 20 yards or, or more. Uh, and some of these names are going to going to hit hard on on you. Okay. I, okay. Uh, uh, I, I know you don't have uh, I know you don't have this list because I didn't forward it to it because I mm-hmm. want to have some aspect of this. Jalen Tolbert. Out of South, Ooh, South Alabama. Alabama, down there in Dallas, yeah, right. And you got to see him at. Did you see him at the? Was it the Senior Bowl, right? Yeah, it was his backyard. Right. It was still, I think, at Live Peoples or something, or. Uh, but yeah, the Mobile. So yeah, he's a, he's a speedster. All right, uh, from 2019 to 2021, 56 explosive play receptions. Second on the list, this one will hit home. Devontae Smith, uh, mm. uh, 51 of those out of Alabama. Uh, the next one. Khalil Shakir out of Boise, Boise State, State uh, had 44 of them from 2019 to 2021. Uh, number four on the list, tied with Jacob Cowling out of UTEP, which I don't remember watching much Jacob Cowling, Cat Cowling mm-hmm. uh, film, Calvin Austin III. Uh, 43 explosive play receptions. Now, Calvin Austin III, those 43 equated to 614 yards, whereas Jacob Cowing uh, had 43 equated to, oh, no, I'm sorry, uh, 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 43 for Calvin Austin. It was the yards after the catch, 614 yards after the catch. Jacob Cowing had 43, had 470 after the catch uh, there. Uh, right after those guys was Romeo Dubs. Your guy. <laughs> <laughs> out of Nevada, uh, also tied with 42 Skymore out of West, Western Western Michigan. Yeah, we talked about a lot in that class. Thought he would be the receiver Pittsburgh would go after instead of they get Pickens, they get Calvin Austin. So yeah, 
I mean, Austin, we, we know he's a big play guy. It sounds like the speed is still there. We'll have to see the involvement. Again, this guy's not played in an NFL game, not even a preseason contest. So there's still a long ways to go on the evaluation process, how they use him, how he looks. Can he overcome the size concerns? You know, can they have, so again, there's going to be variety with him, but you want to have a plan too. So you're trying to walk that line between both of those aspects. So be watching that very closely. All right. So the main, the, the main takeaway we're, we're both trying to get to here for, for the listeners here is man, uh, a healthy Calvin Austin, the third in 2023, you certainly would like to see, uh, the explosive play contributions you would, you would definitely like to see. And another kind of spinoff piece that I wrote off that I won't go too deep into that. Uh, the, 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 you know, You'd like to see him play some in the slot along with uh, Allen Robinson III because this team absolutely has to have more slot production uh, than they than they had last season. Yeah, they had very, very little, even with Chase Claypool, but certainly after dealing him, I mean, they were just, they had nothing there. They were just jet sweeps and orbit motions with Sims and Olszewski the entire season. And I mean, again, those guys, Sims and Olszewski had more rushes than they had receptions in Pittsburgh last year. So just to sum up the lack of production there, Sims made a couple of plays, but, but right. that was about it. So, yeah, with you there overall, I think in terms of the, the path for Pittsburgh, creating more big plays, improve the scheme to allow Deontay Johnson more yak opportunities, mm-hmm. get Austin on the field, utilize that speed, that big playability. And for George Pickens, I think on a personal level, he has to work on his route running, um, improving his yak, getting downfield or getting upfield a bit more, you know, focused on, on that. Um, so I think for Pickens, you, you've seen that improvement. I thought late last year, he was getting better. He was b- being moved around uh, the formation more often, but I think he's got to work on some things because he was a pretty raw receiver coming out. And once again, if this team only, only going to register 52 to 55 to 56 explosive plays uh, in 2023, I, I don't think that's going to cut it. You know, I, I think that number probably needs to be, you know, close to 70. Yeah. And the, the yak has to go up. They were what 4.0, I think yak last year. And that was the worst in football. So four, four uh, yards after the catch per reception was their number. And that was the worst mark. Again, all the top receivers they had were among the bottom. Deontay Johnson was terrible. Pickens was basically the worst yak receiver in football. And that part of that, you know, explosive plays come one of two ways. It's either the yak or it's the actual air yards and Pickens is the air yards kind of guy. And so he's not going to ever be a guy that's going to have a tremendous amount of yak, just given the the vertical nature of his position and how he wins. But there are still some ways as he refines his route running and opens up his route tree to improve that yak. So it's not the worst in football. All right. All right, Dave, anything else from your, your rabbit hole? You were digging a lot this weekend. Anything else you wanted to, to pass along? Yeah, I ended up uh, falling down and watching that, that, uh, that uh, game with Tracy Green against the <laughs> against the Patriots, a couple Who won of, that game. Uh, oh, the Steelers won that game. They had a couple of defensive, uh, I think, fumble returns in that in in, uh, in in that game for touchdowns. At that, so defense played a uh, played a huge uh, huge part in that game. So you know how it is. You get going down these rabbit holes, and you come across this game, and then you start watching the damn game and. Uh, hours go by but anyway it, it ended up being a fun rabbit hole weekend for me all right david i think we can get through some reader emails and close out today's show all right i feel like we I've have talked, anything i here? feel like i've talked too much no you're uh, fine also we do have a live stream tonight at 7 p.m eastern time so if you have any questions about our conversation or anything else you can hang out with david and myself on the youtube channel from 7 to 8 p.m eastern time also my kenny pickett 
full breakdown will be coming very, very soon, sometime this week, within the coming days. Almost done with the video, so that will finally get released. It's, it's going to be a long video, so buckle up. All right. I, I, I will certainly go down that rabbit hole to, to, to watch that. Uh, Garrett Slingerland writes, uh, hey, Dave and Ox, thanks for all you do. This is hands down the best Steelers-related content out there, in my opinion. I'm predicting Najee's yardage stays roughly the same. He says, I've got him in the 1100s, but I also have him feasting on the goal line with 13 touchdowns. I expect a leap from Warren, and I think that he'll eat into Najee's carries. Now my question, can we get an over-under for receptions for Darnell Washington? Yeah, that's, uh, that's something... It's kind of we've had some conversations uh, about that, that what, you know, with a health, you know, healthy fire move, uh, you know, assuming all these other eligible stay healthy. What what does an over under for receptions for for Darnell Washington look like? And look, I think you'd be foolish not to use him in, in, in some of those quick kind of, you know, roll out, you know, tight in. Uh, screen type things that he was utilized quite a bit, you know, at, at, at Georgia there. So, you know, I, I envision a good, you know, five, six, seven, maybe receptions coming, you know, less than five, you know, less than three yards past the line of scrimmage for starters there uh, to try to get a big guy like that, the football out in space and, and, you know, uh, t- test, test somebody uh, if they want to make some. De- some business decisions uh, in there. Uh, a good over under for Darnell Washington right now. Why does 25 pop into my head? I was about to say the same. Yeah, I was because I thought with Austin Washington trying to be the first of 30 receptions. I think that's might be a little too, too tall for Washington. The only thing that's too tall for him, maybe. So I think 24 and a half might be the number. Okay. Uh, some people probably screaming to hammer that over, but uh, I think if you have a healthy firemouth and just all these other eligibles that you have, it's going to be tough for him to to to. Would, what would you take on twenty four and a half, over or under? I'd probably mm. I'd probably lean to under, man. I might go over, but just so slightly. It, that, that's a really tough number. Yeah, and I think even you know the the question that we we've also poised is, you know, who has the more, more recept, more receptions. You know, I think Austin might win in touches, mm-hmm. but who has the most receptions between Austin and, 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 and Darnell Washington in a, in a perfect world. Yeah. It'll be interesting to watch, but hopefully uh, again, they can stay healthy, be productive. You can mix match personnel and your offense is better off for it. All right. Brett Nile says, I had a question about Andrew Voorhees. I know Dave was enamored with his tape, Look, I wasn't the only. Yeah, it was more me, I think. <laughs> uh, I was turned on because of what Alex uh, wrote uh, up on him early in the process there. He says, and obviously his draft stock was hurt by the knee injuries. My question is, assuming he will miss his entire first year, should the Steelers have traded their sixth round pick next year in order to draft him like the Ravens did? He says, I'm pretty sure that other team team expect the Steelers pick next year to be higher than the Ravens. So I have to think that had the Steelers made, made that offer, it would have been accepted. So will he be better than the likely six rounder next year after the injury? I mean, it's, we're, you know, we're in hypothetical land here. Look, a for starters, I mean, what's how serious was that knee injury? Uh, how tough will it be? 
be to come back from? I mean, I, you know, we, we don't know the answers to, 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 to those questions. Uh, I can't imagine that he wasn't on the Steelers radar prior to the knee injury. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have been mad about it. I like the player. I like the idea of stashing him. I just wonder in Pittsburgh, I mean, you have your guards in place, you know, you should have James Daniels and Isaac say Malu be your starters in 2024. And you have Nate Herbig under contract through 2024. And boy, where he's, we got dinged, I think a bit, because sometimes those guys with the ACLs, they don't have, they don't always fall. He fell a bit because of the age, because he's going to be like 26 by the time he takes his first NFL snap. So I think the combination of those two things hurt him some. So you know, should they have done it? I'm not going to lose sleep over that. You can't make every move that, that sounds, you know, good on paper. Um, so I, I think Pittsburgh has certainly concentrated on improving their offensive line. And that that's the only thing I really care about, the macro perspective. I'll tell you this. I would not have batted an eye if they had have traded a six-round draft pick last year for him. Yeah, I mean, I would have been good with that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it's a good move by, by Baltimore. It's kind of what the Ravens do and why they draft pretty well uh, annually. Uh, Austin Hackett. Hey guys, happy Sunday. Hope you're both having a great weekend. Question for you regarding the backup center position. Apologies if you already discussed this, but if you're Kevin Dotson, shouldn't you be hoping and preparing for the Steelers to give you a shot of, of trying to play center at camp? If he's going to make it, uh, with the Steelers or really any team for that matter as a backup interior offensive lineman, when he really wants some, ex- some, some center experience, not to mention the Steelers really don't have any proven options themselves at the spot when it be in in the best interest of both sides to at least give him some looks in the preseason uh also just curious aside from from his lack of experience are there physical traits dots and lacks that come uh with the center position yeah look i mean it's it's you know that might be a question for for mark gorsek uh uh next time we have him on or something like that you know uh what are you know what are some of the traits and look First and foremost, he just doesn't have experience at it. You know, he played, you know, nearly every snap that he played at Louisiana Lafayette was at right guard. We've talked about that in the past there. Uh, I I will tell you this. If I were Kevin Dotson, uh, I would I would try to make my versatility as best as it possibly could be, even if it would mean doing it outside of practice or whatnot. Do I think the Steelers? Uh, are going to give him much shot at, at, at playing center in training camp and move forward. No, I don't. Uh, I mean, for, for just a lot, a lot of reasons, you know, uh, first and foremost, I, I think they, I, I'm not going to be surprised if Spencer Anderson's getting that look mm-hmm. and, you know, there's only so many snaps to go around too. Uh, so I, I you know, I would be surprised if we hear much of Kevin Dotson getting getting some snaps at center. Uh, however, comma if I were Kevin Dotson, I would I would I would once again try to uh, uh, increase my position flexibility as much as I possibly could. Yeah, I don't think Pittsburgh has plans for to move him to center. I don't think they really have a, you know hardcore plans for him to be the be on this roster. And so, why have him become your backup center only to potentially cut him? You know, I know that that could increase his value, but I think, you know, they're going to go other directions. Dotson has never really played center. He's messed around with it on the side, training pre-draft back in 2020, but never really done it in a game. You know, in terms of the skill set, you know, I think intelligence. Can you make the line calls? Can you be able to read and and, and upset protection, especially for a young quarterback and Kenny Pickett? I don't know if Dotson can or can't, but 
I don't get the feeling he's the most cerebral offensive lineman in the world. I'm not trying to dog the guy. I just, you know, I think he's not Marquise Pouncey or something like that. So that, that's probably the number one requirement to play center. And of course, experience and consistent, accurate snaps and, and all that. So not something I expect Pittsburgh to really go down that road and go down that path with dots in this off season. Yeah. Same here. Uh, all right, uh, Alex, I think we made it through the weekend uh, emails here. Uh, didn't know. Uh, hopefully I didn't talk too long when it comes to, you know, but uh, I went down a lot of holes that I wanted to talk about uh, in today's show. And uh, we'll have more to talk about, you know, different aspects of mandatory mini camp the rest of this week. So some position coaches, hopefully we're talking about some things that they they've had to say and, and, and all like that. And uh, don't we have something going on tonight? Yeah. Again, have our live stream 7 PM Eastern time. Dave and I answering your Steelers questions. Just search my YouTube channel, Alex Kazora be on for an hour till 8 PM Eastern time. Go read that Mark Gorsuch article. Certainly worth your time. Let us know your feedback as well. And thank you to everyone who has sent me the alien footage. I've gotten a stream of uh, alien yeah. clips and messages. And so uh, appreciate that. And so some of them seem fake, but I'm always willing to take a look. Here's a movie. I mean, you, you, you've never watched Close Encounters of the Third Kind, have you? Never have. No. Yeah. You know, that was a, that was a huge movie back in the day. That might be something that you might look for, uh, taking in watching the movie after, after mandatory minicamp and all like that. All right. Sounds good. All right. Uh, in until Wednesday, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. You can follow Alex Kazora on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, SteedersDepot.com, hit the donate button up right navigational bar. Uh, also, if you like an ad free version of the site, SteedersDepot.com, hit the ad free button up right navigational bar. Uh, uh, get by the site, you know, even though it's you know slower, we're trying to come up with a lot of different series and all to keep everybody entertained. I think the crew's doing a great job on that. Got a lot of stuff coming, coming in development right now. As far as that goes, once we get past mandatory mini camp, we hope you stop by and read it. Just, you know, Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the support, uh, that, that you continue to give, uh, the site myself, Alex and, 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 and all the contributors. It, it, you know, it's, it's, it means a lot to us to be able to wake up every day and do what we do. And we don't mm-hmm. take that for granted. So uh, in the meantime, as always, thanks for listening to the terrible podcast with Dave and Alex.